Good morning, and welcome to Storms Creek Missionary Baptist Church's Sunday morning radio program. This morning we'll be joining Pastor Kenny Hurts as we once again open the scriptures and study God's Word. Okay, if you would, I invite you to turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew 28. You want to read the final verses of this chapter, verses 16 through 20. Matthew 28, verse 16, Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee, into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore, and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Well, these closing words of Matthew's Gospel are often referred to as the Great Commission. And what these words are, are Christ's marching orders, his instructions to his church, as to what they're to do because he's about to ascend back into heaven. And so while he's gone, this is what his church, this is what they are to do. Now I want you to notice the order of these instructions. They're very, very important. First of all, he says that they are to go and teach all nations. It means that they are to make disciples of all nations. In other words... His church is to go forth and to preach the gospel throughout the whole world. We are to go and, and proclaim Christ to sinners that he is the only way of salvation and man's only hope is to repent of their sin and put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. So first and foremost, that is what we are called to do. Now, we do that here in the area which this church is located. But we also have a hand in helping others who go to places around the world that we're not able to go so they can take the gospel to other places. So, in a sense, we are trying to preach the gospel to the whole world. So that is the first thing that Jesus says that his church is to do. We're to preach the gospel, tell sinners to repent, and look to Christ. And then he goes on. The second thing that they are instructed to do is to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But you'll notice he says baptizing them. Now, who does Jesus mean by them. Well, he means those who are disciples, those who hear the gospel and believe the gospel, who put their faith and trust in Christ, those who become disciples. They are then to be baptized. Now, it's important for us to understand that when Jesus says this, when he says that they are to be baptized, he's not giving some advice. He's not giving them something to think about, to consider. He's not suggesting that you possibly do this. Friends, I don't know how else to say this. This is a command. A command given by the Lord Jesus Christ. Just as His church is commanded to go and preach the gospel to all the world, His church also is commanded to baptize those who put their faith and trust in Christ. Now, of course, the church, we cannot force somebody to be baptized. That's something that person has to submit to themselves. So the church has a responsibility, 
but so does the one who is saved. They're responsible to obey the Lord, to follow him, and to be baptized and become a part of one of his churches. To fail to do this, now again, I'm going to say this as nicely as I can say it, to fail to do this is to be in disobedience to the Lord. Because he has commanded that those who are saved, that then they are baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Tonight, in obedience to Christ's command, Isaac is going to follow the Lord in baptism. And then, thirdly, the third instruction that he gives his church is found in verse 20, teaching them to observe all things, whatever I have commanded you. The church is to teach, now you'll notice, all things. Teaching them. Again, there's the word them. And who's he referring to? Those who are saved, those who have been baptized. They are to be taught. They're to be taught by the church. And they're to be taught all things. All things. Now, that means that they are to be taught the word of God. All the Word of God. Not just certain parts of the Word. Not just the New Testament or certain books. No, they are to be taught all the Word of God. All the Old Testament, all the New Testament. And we try to do that here. That is our purpose. That's what Jeremy and I seek to do week after week. And that is to teach all the Word of God. Since I've been here, I've preached through almost all the New Testament. There's a, there's, I haven't preached through Luke, a, f- a couple other smaller books, but I've preached through most of the New Testament. And I've preached through several books of the Old Testament. Jeremy's preached through different books, different parts of the Bible. And we are doing that because we're trying to fulfill these instructions that gave, the Lord Jesus gave to his church. And that is to teach all things. Now tonight we're going to focus on the second part of this commission that we've just looked at. And that is baptism. I'm going to be speaking tonight not only to Isaac, who is going to be baptized, but I'm also speaking to all of us here tonight who have been baptized to remind us just how important and what baptism actually means. Now, baptism is one of the two ordinances that Jesus gave to his church, the other being the Lord's Supper. It just happens to be that this week we are observing both of those ordinances Because this past Wednesday, we observed the ordinance of the Lord's Supper. Tonight, we're going to be observing the ordinance of baptism. Now, from the time that this commission was given, 2,000 years ago, up until the day and time in which we live, I don't think there's been a doctrine that's been more attacked, that's been more divisive, that has divided people more than the doctrine of baptism. I believe there's more blood that has been shed over this doctrine than over any other. Now, some people would say, well, that shouldn't be. Because a lot of people, and especially people today, look at baptism as something that, well, because it's not necessary for salvation. And and we acknowledge that. Baptism is not needed for salvation. It has no part in our salvation. And because of that, a lot of people look at baptism and they say, well... It's not really that important. Why make all of this fuss over a doctrine that's not essential for salvation? Why do we let it divide people? It shouldn't be that way. So today, a lot of people are not divided over baptism. 
But I don't share that opinion because I believe that this is something that we should hold to. In fact, you look back in our history, look at our Baptist forefathers, millions of them have been killed, have been put to death. They have shed blood. And you know what the main reason is? is because their view of baptism. And so don't tell those who've lived in the past who died that baptism is not important. And I'm telling you tonight that even though it doesn't save us, it is important. And I hope to show you that as we look at the scriptures tonight. So the question I want to ask tonight is what is baptism? Well, the definition that I'm going to give you is simply this. is the immersion in water of one who has received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior by one who has the proper authority to do this in order to picture the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, with that definition in mind, what I want to do then is I want to answer four questions in regard to what baptism is. And I'm going to use this definition that I just gave you. First question, and where we should always start, is who should be baptized? Who should be baptized? Well, the definition that I just gave you says that one who has received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. That is the proper candidate. That's the only candidate for baptism. One who has received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Someone who hears the gospel message, who repents of sin, who puts their trust in Christ. This is the one who should be baptized. That's why we refer to baptism often as believer's baptism. Because it's not for someone who's not made a profession of faith. It's only for those who have truly been saved, who look to Christ for salvation. I know of no place in the Bible where someone was ever baptized who hadn't first of all trusted Christ as Lord and Savior. And if you can find a place where someone was baptized before they trusted Christ, then let me know. But I don't think you're going to find that in the Bible. Acts chapter 2 and verse 41. They that gladly received his word were baptized. They received his word. That means that they trusted Christ. They believed the gospel message. And as a result of that, then they were baptized. In Acts chapter 8 and verse 12, it says, But when they believed Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God and of the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Then Simon himself believed also. And when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and wondered, beholding the miracles and signs which were done. So you'll notice that First of all, they believed, then they were baptized. When I was 16 years old, I think I was around 16 years old, I was baptized into the Methodist church. And when I was baptized at 16, I was not saved. And I don't remember, again, this has been several years ago, I don't remember the preacher, the pastor of the church, asking me if I was saved. I don't remember them even using that kind of language. I don't remember being asked if I trusted Christ as my Lord and Savior. Now, if he did, then I've completely forgot about it. I don't remember really the gospel being preached. 
I just was 16. I was in high school. I thought, well, everybody else in my family is a member of this church. I think it's time for me to join. And so that's what happened. The baptism that I received then wasn't valid for several reasons. One is because I wasn't a believer. I wasn't saved. Secondly, because it was done by sprinkling some water on top of my head. And third is because it wasn't done by someone who had the proper authority to baptize. So that was when I was 16. Well, fast forward a few years to when I'm 24. Then I'm saved. I trust Christ. I believe in him as my Lord and Savior. And I was baptized by the Burlington Baptist Church. It's interesting that I was made a member of the Burlington Methodist Church at 16, and I was saved and became a member of the Burlington Baptist Church at 24. And I say that because you could take a ball and throw it from one church to the other. They were almost right next door to each other. If any of you know uh, Burlington and the S-curve there, there's two churches there, and that's the two churches I'm talking about. But anyway, the baptism I received at 24 was valid because I was saved. I was immersed in water, and they had the proper authority to baptize. So who should be baptized? Well, that's pretty simple, isn't it? Someone who's been saved. Second question, how should someone be baptized? Well, the definition that I gave you says by immersion in water. Now, the word, the Greek word baptizo means to immerse, to plunge, or to dip. Well, the King James translation, which is what I'm preaching out of, doesn't say immersed. It says, in verse 19, it says, baptizing them. Literally, if it was the proper translation, should be immersing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. You say, well, then why doesn't it say immerse? Because King James said, don't translate that, immerse. Translate it, baptize. You say, why did he do that? Because he was not only a member of the Church of England, as the king, he was the head of the Church of England. And the king and the head of the church said to the translators, don't translate that word, immerse, translate it, baptize. And so you do what the king tells you to do. But the word should be, the literal translation should be immersed. John Calvin, who practiced both sprinkling and pouring water as modes of baptism, here's what he said. The word baptize means to immerse. It is certain that immersion was the practice of the ancient church. That's interesting, just like with Luther. Now, I admire both these men in a lot of ways for what they did, the, the, the truth that they preached. But as men who were so determined to preach and stand true to the word of God, I don't know why he would make such an assertion, why he would say something like that. You know, if he was if he realized that, then he should have practiced immersion. I want you, if you would, just to hold your place here and turn over to John chapter 3 and verse 22 and 23. John chapter 3, verses 22 and 23. Again, we're dealing with how someone should be baptized. 
John chapter two, look at or yeah, chapter two and uh, chapter three. I'm sorry, chapter three in verse twenty-two. Chapter three in verse twenty-two it says, "After these things came Jesus and his disciples into the land of Judea, and there he tarried with them and baptized." And John also was baptizing in Anon near Salim, because there was much water there, and they came and were baptized. Now, why was John, why was he baptizing there in Anon, which is by the Jordan River? Why in that particular place and not somewhere maybe closer to town? Why here? Well, we're told at the end of verse 23, because there was much water. Now, that is so very important, those words, because there was much water. If you could just sprinkle some water on somebody or pour some water on somebody's head, then there would be no reason to go out into the wilderness, to go out to a remote place where John was and baptize when you could just stay in town close to where everybody is and it'd be much more convenient just to baptize them in that way. It wouldn't be, you wouldn't have to go to all the trouble to go to a place where there's plenty of water so you can immerse someone. You know, we know that in the past, and some of you all maybe have experienced this, that uh, churches didn't have baptistries. And so you baptized in the river or in a creek or a pond or wherever you could find enough water to baptize. And I don't know if that's any of your all story, but, you know, I've heard a lot of people talk about being baptized in the wintertime when they had to break the ice and they had to get and it was freezing cold. Much colder than when Micah got baptized up here. I mean, it was cold, but it wasn't where we didn't have to break any ice. And the people would ask the question, why do you go to all that trouble? Why do you put yourself through that? Because the Bible teaches that baptism is to be by immersion. If you're going to baptize somebody in the wintertime and you don't have a baptistry in your church, then you're going to have to get in that cold water. But what you're doing is you're being obedient to the Lord. The third question, who should do the baptizing? Well, the definition I gave you says by one who has the authority to baptize. So you have to have the authority. I mean, you know, can just anybody baptize? Does it make a difference who baptizes? Some people say, no, it doesn't really matter. Anybody can baptize someone. Anybody, and now they might say anybody who's a believer can baptize, but anybody has the right to baptize, as some people say. Well then, going by what we see in John chapter 3, then if anybody had the authority to baptize, then why did people go out into the wilderness and travel miles and miles to go where John was to be baptized by him if just anybody could have baptized him? See, the reason is, is that John was the divinely appointed one to baptize. He and he alone had the authority to baptize. No one else did. Now, you say, okay, I, I understand. I get that. But what about today? John's not here today to baptize anybody. So who has the authority to baptize today? Well, Christ gave his church the authority to baptize. They're the only one authorized to do so. Now, now this church, the church can authorize anybody 
to baptize. I don't have to do the baptizing. Any of you, the church can let any of you all do this, do the baptizing. But the church has the authority to determine that. Now remember that baptism, as we looked at in the Great Commission, is a church ordinance. It wasn't given when Jesus said in, in Matthew chapter 28 to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Was he speaking to the disciples as a group of men or was he speaking to a church? Those who were the first members of that church. Well, I don't believe that he was speaking to the disciples as individual believers. They didn't have the authority. He wasn't telling them to baptize. You say, well, how do you know this for sure? What's your proof? Well, at the end of Matthew 28, Jesus says, Lo, I am with you always, even unto what? The end of the world. Now, let me ask you a simple question. Was Jesus with those disciples under the end of the world? No. They died not too many years after Jesus gave this commission. So, he can't be with them into the end of the world because they died years, thousand, two thousand years ago. No, when Jesus said that, I am with you even at the end of the world, he was speaking to those men who were members of that first church. And so, they are the ones who have the authority to baptize. John was the one who had the authority, the divine authority to start out. And then, after John died, those men, the apostles and those men who were the first members of that church, then they had the authority to baptize. And then this has just carried over into the day and time in which we live. See, it's only those true churches of the Lord Jesus Christ who have the authority to baptize. And I say a true church because not everyone is a true church. We know that there are many false churches that exist. And so we're talking about true churches. Now, that gets into the subject of what constitutes a true church. Well, that's a whole other story, another message for another time. But it's only true churches. It's only those churches that have the marks of what a true church is. So everything out there that has the name church on it is not a church. It has to be those who hold to the marks of what makes a true church. That's why we don't practice, or we reject, I should say, alien baptism. Because we believe that only those who have the marks of a true church have the authority to baptize someone. And so that's who has the right to baptize. And in the fourth and final question is, why should someone be baptized? Why be baptized? It, it has nothing to do with your salvation. It doesn't save you. So why be baptized? Well, the definition I gave you says that it is the picture of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, keep in mind that back in that day and time, you didn't have altar calls. You didn't have a public invitation at the end of some type of a worship service. No. When someone was saved, their profession of faith, so to speak, their proclaiming that they were saved was not done just by verbally telling a group of people that they had been saved. And how did they proclaim to the world that they were now followers of Christ? By going through the waters of baptism. And it was a public act. It was there for all to see. They didn't have it in a building like we do. It was out 
in public where people, all people could see the person being baptized. Isaac, when Isaac is going to be baptized here in just a few minutes, when he leaves here tonight, he doesn't have to fear that someone is going to hurt him, that there's going to be people outside that are going to do something to him, that he's going to be arrested, or he's going to be treated meanly or whatever. He doesn't have to worry about that. Because he's here in this place with friends and families who rejoice over the fact he's going to be baptized. And that's the way we do it today. But we have to keep in mind it's not always been that way. Because you go back to that first century, to those people who were baptized. They paid a price for being baptized. They paid a price. Often they would lose their jobs. They would lose friends. They would be renounced by their family. What they were doing was they were denouncing all allegiance to Caesar. And what they were saying is, is we no longer serve Caesar. Our allegiance now is to Christ. We serve Christ. Well, that didn't go over very well with the majority of the people. So there was a price to pay. But see, they did this because the Lord commanded that those who trust in His Son, that they profess publicly by baptism that they are saved and followers of Christ. So why be baptized? Let me give you a couple answers and then we'll be finished. First of all, it proclaims to the world our new life in Christ, that we are united to Christ. When we are saved, when we put our faith and trust in Christ, then we are immersed in Christ. We are united to Christ. We're united to His death, burial, and resurrection. Now, again, we could spend a lot of time just talking about this, but it's, it's like this. When Christ died, all of us who are saved, who are followers of Christ, we're united to Him, and whatever He did, in a sense, we did also. When He died, we died. When He was buried, we were buried. When He arose, we arose. Now, not literally, but this is what theologians refer to as the mystical union of Christ with his people. We are so united to him that whatever he did, in a sense, we did because we are tied to him. Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. Now, this is the Apostle Paul speaking. He says, I've been crucified with Christ. Now, he's talking about that mystical union, that he is united to Christ. So the believer, we are a new creation in Christ. Isaac is a new creature in Christ. And so because of that, he now is going to identify with Christ. And not just him, all of us here who've been saved and who've been baptized. That's what we did when we were baptized. Remind you that you are identified with Christ. You are united to Him. And then secondly, it proclaims to the world our identity with Christ that we belong to Him. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, the last place I'll have you turn. So we have new life in Christ and we are identified with Christ. Moreover, brethren, I would not that you should be ignorant how that all of our fathers were under the cloud and they all passed through the sea and were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. Again, these verses have nothing to do with water baptism. In fact, the only 
ones who were immersed at the Red Sea were not the Israelites, but the Egyptians. They were the ones who were drowned. They were the ones who were in the water. What these verses are actually saying is, is that those people who walked across the Red Sea on dry land, they were immersed in Moses in the sense that they identified Moses as their leader. And they are going to follow him because he's God's appointed leader. That's what it meant for them to be immersed in Moses. Moses, you're the guy we're going to follow. You're our leader. We understand that God has raised you up for that purpose. And he led them through the Red Sea. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 27. For as many as you who have been baptized unto Christ have put on Christ. Sometimes as translated, have been clothed with Christ. Think of an athlete. An athlete, when he goes out to play the game, wears a uniform. And that uniform identifies the team that he's playing for, the school that he's playing for, who it is that he is playing for. He's identified with that team. Or you think of a soldier who goes into battle. They wear a uniform. Why? To identify what country they're fighting for. So if you're an athlete, you identify the team that you're on. If you're a soldier, you identify the country that you're fighting for. In baptism, what you're doing is you're identifying the one that you belong to. And who is that? That is Jesus Christ. And so that's what Isaac is going to do here in just a couple minutes. And all of us who have been baptized, that's what we did when we were baptized. We identified to all the world, hey, I'm a new creature and I am following Christ. He's my leader. He's my Lord. He's the one that I'm going to follow. So why be baptized? Well, first of all, and I can't think of a better reason, Christ commands it. Christ commands that you be baptized. Baptized. 